Hey, welcome to episode 85 of the Thoughtcast Conversations about Animation. Hey, we're back. It's summer. Uh, and yeah, we're kind of following up from our previous episode in uh, this tradition of covering some Disney live action remakes, spinoffs. And uh, last time we talked about Cruella and um, we had some wonderful people joining us and two of them are returning today. Hannah Lee Smart joining me from Minnesota and Jody Pulaski joining from Georgia. How are you guys doing? Uh, feel free to been perhaps in the order in which I introduced you, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, two years into this and we still don't really know who goes first, but like being the elder of the two of us, well, like I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're in the long, more, you know, longer serving host. Uh, I guess uh, when I started the call, uh, Hannah was the first to to jump on. Sometimes I honestly don't have a formula and that's kind of how I like things. I, I kind of like chaos to a degree. Yeah, like they're just going to have to like go along with the raw footage at this point. But like I'm doing great. So I'm just going to tell everyone right now I'm doing great because the world is opening up again. Movies are playing again. I'm traveling again, working again. And so like what better way to look forward to the future than like going back to the 60s and talking about all these puppies today. So I'm excited and I'm mm -hmm. happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Anna? I'm I'm also um positively excited uh, to be here. <laughs> um I actually love this movie. Uh, I think that it's so fun to go back to these movies that we watched as kids more so and kind of rewatch them because you think you know what you're talking about and then you rewatch it and you're like, "Oh my gosh, did that really happen in a kids movie?" <laughs> Yeah, like <laughs> I can't wait to hop right into it. Like once Philip lets us, because like I'm gonna talk about my big, <laughs> my big like shock moment with 101 Dalmatians. But maybe like first Philip can like say what we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, tugging at the leash here. <laughs> the uh, film, of course, we're talking about today is 101 Dalmatians from 1961, uh, Walt Disney animation. And yeah, it's it's a fascinating revisit of course on disney plus and um there's you know all kinds of tangents we can really go down having grown up with a film like this um you know something that existed long before our time for one thing and then you know we have the variety of perspectives from which we can really explore these films that that you know just are part of our childhood DNA. So now that we you know, are, are looking at these through the context of, you know, our adulthood and then also sort of the things that have come since um, that are, you know, trying to capture, recapture some of the magic of this original. Um, it is fascinating to really um, just form a, a bit of a, a comprehensive look at, at something like this. And uh, I'm glad the two of you are here to help me out with this. Um, let's see, yeah, Jody, what are your initial thoughts about revisiting this film from 1961? Okay, well, I think it's very charming. I like that it's sort of more of a subtly sweet, not sweet plot line, but like the story is, isn't that super complex. 
the characters are like traditional. But what I really like about this movie and what I remembered, I don't know when I looked it up, but this one came out after Sleeping Beauty. And I guess like Sleeping Beauty was a big flop at the box office for the Disney studio. And like, so when this one came out, it like they started doing like Xerox photography to like mm -hmm. aid the animation process. And like, I guess like after Walt Disney like saw it, he was like, never again like the art director's like never gonna work in this town ever again like he didn't really like this overall style he thought it was like missing the like fantasy that he thought his animation studio would hold but then like later down the line like he grew to really love it and i think that's that's sort of cool because it sort of like reminds you that there are human beings that create this i personally really like this movie i like the style with like the polka dots and kind of the inky the vibe, like the pencil elements. Um, so even though the story for me is kind of like, meh, like whatever, I do like watching it. I like the way it looks on the screen and I like the music as well. Yeah. What do you think, Hannah? I, this movie's like very nostalgic to me. Like I definitely loved this one as a kid. I think in watching it now, I felt that the, um, content was actually a bit more kid appropriate than our movies now i think oftentimes um kids these days are almost forced to be more mature just with technology and all the things that are like surrounding them so i think this movie as much as it does have things like um obviously like the making fur out of puppies aka murder <laughs> Um, and the um, smoking and the violence like there's plenty of like hitting and kicking and that kind of stuff um, I think there's some kind of like nostalgia for me in in the film but at the same time it's like in rewatching it I actually thought it was um, a bit I know I'm like repeating myself a little bit, but um, a bit more appropriate just in the sense of like, it's less tongue in cheek as like the movies are now. And I think a lot less of that. Um, often I think the Disney animators or not the animators, but like the writers kind of try to make adult jokes that go over kids' heads. Mm -hmm. um, and that's more so in recent Disney movies. And it was just nice to have kind of like a wholesome kid movies even though they're smoking and they're drinking and all those things but I thought it was a bit um I don't know more like just plain old Disney mixing up magic yeah, yeah it's charming it's not like over the top like nuts crazy screaming jokes like mm -hmm. fart style like it's good it's just like yeah. I felt the same I liked watching it it was very like wholesome that's the right like word. wholesome nobody yeah. does like a crazy like sticking their tongue out bit and like no <laughs> one's doing like crazy things and there's no iPads in the movie like I just like that aspect <laughs> and yet it still has like a very dramatic storyline so it's kind of cool because like the thought of her like going and killing these 99 puppies to like make a coat like nothing could be worse but it's just it's 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 okay <laughs> well it, it adds stakes to you know what otherwise might be just sort of a simple childish kind of saccharine adventure about animals so it's i mean it's helpful to have just a, a bit of you know a peril, I guess, to help move things along, just like any ch children's story really does have a lot of like almost life and death circumstances. Um, you know, when, when you really think about most of these stories, 
especially from Disney. Um, also, just another tidbit that I feel like kind of an idiot that I thought my whole life. <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> that, like, in just, like, remembering the movie, that, like, Pongo and Purdy didn't have, like, 101 puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally yeah. was, like, Googling it while I was watching it, and they're like, hey, they have 15 puppies. I'm like, what? <laughs> Don't you think that, like, they really, like, pushed the boundaries right off the bat by being, like, oh, thir- they're, like, 13, 14, 15, ah, uh, 14, and they, like, imply that, like, the, the one, like, one of the babies, like, it was a stillbirth, and then they're, like, oh, like, if you just, like, rub on it, like, genie style, like, it's gonna come back to life, but I had forgotten that, I was, like, that's kind of, like, a, a pretty sad, not that sad I little moment. That to happen, but I actually think it would have been like a good moment for kids because their parents would have a way to explain that if that ever happened in their family. I know that's like pretty dark to think that and I don't want the puppy to die, but I do think that it's like a sense of false hope is what I thought when I saw that. Mm -hmm. And I don't wish the puppy would have died, but I kind of think that it would have been a different moment in a lesson that people could use for their kids. Well, um, (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Philip. I mean, it's so dark. <laughs> it's it's a classic fable. The the <laughs> yeah. The, I guess there, it's funny. Uh, th- there is even like a pretty you know direct joke made about reproduction at the end of the film, which got me you know in, in my you know twenty nine year old self uh, you know laughing pretty hard. Which is when Roger you know he sees all the new, extra puppies and it's like you know, you know he goes up to Pongo and it's like oh Pongo you old rascal <laughs> as if like <laughs> Pongo I missed get miss that literally what. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's it was a cheeky joke. Um, see, do I have it quoted here? Uh, but he's like, Pongo, you old devil, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- yeah, there's there's plenty of subtext in this film, which you know, there's a ton in in these old Disney. I mean, any Disney animated canon film. Uh, this was the seventeenth in the Disney animated canon. But I think, and and perhaps one thing that really you know reveals a a canon. Disney animated film is the fact that, you know, because so much artistry and work goes into these, you know, they're, they're these fully fledged uh, Hollywood blockbuster level productions. Um, there can't help but be a lot of sort of imagination and just pure um, ingenuity that goes into not only the technical aspects of the animation, but also the storytelling just the iteration, uh, writing and rewriting, you know, re, reboard, boarding and reboarding, you know, as, as these films traditionally were made, it was, it was mainly through the illustrations that would form the storyboards from which the film was uh, ultimately um, completed. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to maybe go into some of the, the metaphor perhaps they were trying to explore here. Um, but also like, uh, funny enough, the, the 15 puppies was something that happened to the author of the original 
101 oh. Dalmatians book. Uh, oh her, my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Her uh, Dalmatian actually had a litter of 15 puppies. So based in some reality. Um, and then, yeah, like. You gave them the names. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I suppose perhaps from the, um, if, if the novel has the same list of names, um, maybe I could look up the, the list of puppies. Um, but yeah, um, kind of funny. Famous Dalmatians. I, I guess I've, I've also wrote down uh, <laughs> the lead singer from Sublime uh, is, a, is a artist who references his beloved pet Dalmatian in, in his music. I, uh, I, gosh, he had a funny name too. Sublime singer Dalmatian. <laughs> it was like, okay, yeah. Uh, Noel, oh, Bradley Noel. Um, that's not a funny name, Philip. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's, funny at all. That's the singer. Oh. Uh, and he named his Dalmatian Lou Dog. Oh, cute. That's after, cute. After his grand, grandfather. Yeah. Dog. If, if you know that song, you know, early in the morning, rising to the street. Woke uh, up. <laughs> like yeah. Something like that. I thought it was going to be the canine crunchies jingle, to be <laughs> honest <laughs> with you. Well, I think like, I remember like, uh, there was a 101 Dalmatians like book, and I wasn't sure if it came out like before or after the animated movie and it was written by Dodie Smith and I guess like when it was being written like she had always hoped that like Disney would make it into a film mm -hmm. and then like the guy who was in charge of like making it into I don't know what you call it like a, a screenplay before they did the storyboarding like what? he didn't know how to use a typewriter so he mm -hmm. wrote it all by hand and there was like ink all over the pages and like <laughs> it just like made it even more iconic like from beginning mm -hmm. to end well was it bill pete because he's credited with the story for the film uh that's like the person who did the screenplay but like the book was written oh. by someone named Dodie, and i just remember Dodie because like Dodie sounds like jody who did the handwritten that that was bill pete yeah that okay. was bill pete and like he condensed like certain elements of it because like i remember in the book like cruella had like a husband and like a, a cat and like there were other dalmatians but like obviously right they had to sort of like simplify it down to make it a movie itself. So he kind of like brought it all together before they started storyboarding it. Okay. So he was kind of like the in-between the storybook and like the movie. Like he didn't mm -hmm. write the original 101 Dalmatians book. Yeah, well, he was a hugely influential mm -hmm. member of the Walt Disney Studio back then. He was sort of one of the you know most prominent successors to the nine old men. Um, and, and then of the three directors credited on the original 101 Dalmatians, um, one of them is one of the you know official nine old men. The directors are Clyde, I'll just say Clyde Geronimi, uh, Hamilton Lusk, and Wolfgang Reitherman, uh, also known as Wooly Reitherman, who, who was, um, you know, who's often amongst that uh, pantheon of, of the nine um but ham lusk he's also a, a very prominent name too in that early batch of animators so uh I, I don't think though he gets regarded 
amongst the nine, the sacred nine. <laughs> um, I think he was maybe even prior to that. I'm hard to say. Um, but anyways, a, a incredible career. Um, and, uh, and all, yeah, all three of these guys, of course, you know, just, um, tremendous talents all around and Bill Pete, of course, being the story guy for Walt Disney. He, he was almost like, um, almost he, he left the studio sort of because he had, um, conflicts with Walt Disney and they were just two conflicting personalities that were almost uh, too big for <laughs> the one studio. Um, but yeah, the, the, this, uh, this film, of course, also famous for the, the Xerox um, uh, process, which you mentioned, Jody. Uh, they, they use photocopying to uh, cut costs uh, because, yeah, some of their previous films weren't profitable. Um, I mean, all their films have since become profitable in re-releases. Um, but they needed income and uh, using a photocopier, uh, which was, you know, a nascent technology in this era, um, helped them save, you know, on, on inking costs. Because otherwise, you know, they would have done all the outlines of all these frames and on the, you know, um, transparency cells by hand. And then, you know, paint, painting within, which is one thing I always wonder is like, Gosh, how did they manage to stay within the lines of all these just intricate outlines on all these character models? I, I almost I don't know if I ever have seen like any of the colored ink go outside of <laughs> the outlines on on these uh, these cells. But uh, I guess it's because these people are so professional and they've done it so so many times, it just doesn't happen. The the pioneer of this technology was also the guy who essentially created um, the Mickey Mouse format as well. You know, the Steamboat Willie uh, film was primarily animated by this, this guy, Ub Iwerks, you know, Disney fans will be familiar with that name, who you know, was just this genius inventor who would go on to then incorporate Xerox photography into Disney animation. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a, it was a complicated history getting that um you know you know getting the approval ultimately from walt disney um because it was just so different for the time that's uh, a lot of stuff that i didn't know so i'm like having trouble like grasping it but i listened and that's a lot like sometimes you kind of forget that there's all these things like going on behind the scenes of a movie so like thank you well it's, i mean it's interesting because yeah 1959 was uh the was sleeping beauty and that movie was like in full widescreen you know if you watch it on disney plus you really you know notice that the aspect ratio is more common to today's standards and then you, you turn this one on 1961 two years later and it's back to four by three you know like the square box you know old school widescreen ratio and you're like what i thought uh, i thought you know they had <laughs> switched over to the modern format um but i i think part of that was just because they were trying to save costs and um it was just less expensive to animate in that traditional you know academy four by three ratio um, so, so in some ways, this film was a step backwards from previous work done by the studio. But in other ways, it was it was like a 
tremendous innovation in, in um, economic animation and also um, just a, you know showing off different art, a whole new art form, I, I should yeah. say. This is a very stylish film. I, I agree. And like the, it's kind of cool when they're able to like deviate from like the predicted path. But like I said, like kind of at the beginning, it is sort of funny that like Disney himself was like, what the F, like what the heck? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like he, it, it's cool. Cause you always figure that like Disney, like loved everything that came out. Like as soon as it came out, this, 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 but it's kind of weird to think of him as like a more of a human guy and being like, like actually like sometimes like disappointed or like not liking something that came out of his studio. Do you know what I mean? But I mean, in the long run, he ended up liking it. He ended up looking back on it and being like, it's all forgiven, like live and learn. Like I love like the style, like, you know what I mean? I think sometimes um, just Walt Disney as an example, don't kill me people, but I think that like he's held up on like this huge pedestal, but like we have to remember that like even like the brightest minds sometimes like have like decisions that would have worked against them. And then they luckily had people like keeping them in check. <laughs> it, like it what is. if you would have pulled the plug on this whole movie? It's like a timeless Disney classic. It's hard. It's hard to imagine. It's kind of weird because like when you, when I think of like, Disney World and like Disney merch and like all the the Disney toys all those things I don't really think about 101 Dalmatians that much but it still is like an icon like pivotal piece like there's no rides based on it there's not really you can't and really totally characters in the park yeah but like if you really think about it like it is one of the like early on like pivotal like what would you call it like a pillar of early Disney what did you say Philip this is their 17th yes so like it's 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 such a classic. There is um at Disney World like they have a hotel that's called Art of Animation mm. and there is a huge statue of Pongo and what a cute name Pongo and Pretty. Mm. But that's the only thing I can think of that has something specific for the 101 Dalmatians. In the Honestly, it would be a cool ride. I wonder if it's ever been one. Like that's something we should maybe look into because mm -hmm. it would be such a good ride. Like you have to like ride away from Cruella or something. It would be like a thriller ride. Um, but another thing about like the Disney kind of like merch side of it is I think it's obviously like big enough. I bet it's one of those things like I personally don't like look out for it all the time either, but that has kind of like that cult following yeah. within like the Disney niche, if mm -hmm. that makes sense, because they feel like there's people that are like obsessed with like one or two movies. And I do see like stuffed animals and stuff. And if they put like puppies in something, it's usually um, like Pongo or um, like Lady and the Tramp, like I think are the two that they try to like intertwine the most. Um, with just, like, those big Disney, like, character shots of, like, all the characters. I don't know what they call them. But um, this movie was, I know, part of the Disney, like, Diamond Edition DVDs that came out. And they just used, like, bigger movies that were, like, older. They did, like, Little Mermaid, all of those things. Um, so it definitely can hold its own and has stood, like, the test of time. Philip, do you know if when they re-release them, like in the 2000s, like Hannah's saying as Diamond Edition, when they go back into like, quote unquote, like digitally, like enhance these older movies, 
they, I know that they did that for this mm. one, right? Yeah. What does that typically entail? Do they just run mm. it through a program, like a computer program and say like, okay, like we just want everything mm. sharper and more vibrant? Or do you know what the process <laughs> is of taking these old movies and revitalizing them, I guess? Well, uh, I, I think many <laughs> of them have been through this sort of process multiple times throughout you know, multiple re-releases um, over the years. And I think some of the earliest, you know, ways in which, um, I mean, because these films have been re-released um, sort of a dispro disproportionate number of times in theaters because um, they are just so evergreen and, you know, they, you know, appeal to families and kids of all generations. Um, so like uh, 101 Dalmatians has been, you know, released to theaters, even, you know, in my lifetime, maybe once or twice. Um, but, and so I think for those sorts of special, you know, reissues of the original film prints, you know, they have to go in and make sure that the original negatives are, are kept clean and, you know, try to eliminate as many imperfections as possible. I'm sure there's a whole process for that analog footage um to, okay. to be maintained properly but then of course now with digital technology which is you know ubiquitous um compared to like when i was younger they were still using film for a lot of these reissues um but then yeah they, they there was a home video released which may or may not have been digitally remastered um but yeah when they do that it's basically scanning in every frame uh, you know, frame by frame into a really? computer and, and yeah, and, and just um, touching it up, make sure that, you know, there aren't any. They were face tuning it. Bod, yeah, bad <laughs> blem blemishes. Yeah, it, it takes, you know, it's, it's, it's a labor intensive process. And nowadays there are AI algorithms that are capable right. of, you know, doing doing a lot of the work. But then again, you don't want to just trust trust the computer to, uh, you know, make all the corrections because you never know if it, mistakes I mean, especially with a film like this like all the spots you know <laughs> what yeah. was an intentional mark yeah <laughs> like what the little like dots like all around mm -hmm. you know what though you know this is triggering for me like as we talk about how sometimes they'd re-release these throughout our childhood and like mm -hmm. still to this day you know every now and then they really have the scare factor of being like it's going back in the vault. Like, <laughs> oh, shoot. Like, yeah. you better, mom, we have to buy 101 Dalmatians now because it's going back into the vault. But like, <laughs> obviously it comes out again. Mm -hmm. Well, and some people are collectors. They did, um, they do different versions of the movies that come out. So they, they did like Diamond Edition and then they did like another one right after that. So I started collecting the diamond edition ones and I freaking missed one. I'm not kidding. Okay, everyone, like hopefully my mom's not listening to this. I genuinely went on eBay and spent $90 for the Lion King because I freaking missed it and I was so mad and I needed to have it from my collection. And then I got mm. so annoyed that I spent so much money on that. I literally stopped collecting the DVDs and now I just have like a bunch of like DVDs that mean nothing. It was like a DVD Blu-ray, like I can't. Media collection is intoxicating sometimes, you know, that need for that, that complete set. But, uh, yeah. you know, unless I, and I've, I've totally, you know, given up on really being 
this way towards anything physical because it's like I I don't have the necessary space for almost any. I suppose I could throw a bunch of stuff <laughs> in my parents' storage unit, <laughs> um, but it's like I I like to display things, you know, and, um, and and of course, yeah, everything's on digital now, so it's man. But I, I think maybe there is a, a psychological component to collecting physical media that helps keep you kind of on your toes and, and more engaged in, in, cinema, in cinema, you know, being a cinephile. I think everyone, everyone should have a hobby, you know. And if you love movies, um, physical media is just one natural way in which people you know, like to practice their Yeah, for their sure. Love. Like definitely some people are like so good at it and ends up being like mm -hmm. so much money someday. Oh but gosh. Yeah. You have to have the budget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like as a, like, a college student, I shouldn't have like waited for my student loans to come in so I could quickly go on eBay and buy the Lion King DVD. <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, we all make mistakes, <laughs> but 10 years from now, when DVDs are obsolete, hopefully I will make like $12 on it. Yeah, $12. You're going to be like, you're going to just be like Roger, the aspiring. Yeah, a third of an Uber. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't let's not talk about <laughs> current. Oh, no. Let's go back. To, let's I, go back to London. Let's go back to London I in the 60s. I don't want to think about our, our ride yeah, share don't, prices don't, skyrocketing. Don't. Oh, just know I was just in Chicago and for a two mile drive, it was $63 oh. for an Uber. It was like triple the price and there were only like four cars within the vicinity. So like, I want to keep talking about the Dalmatians, Anita, Roger, the puppies, hmm. Cruella, the buggins. What do you call them? The uh, baddens. Baddens. Bad it's just <laughs> it's bad ones, but it's kids trying to articulate it, you know. So they they shorten it to baddens, <laughs> and and then in like the IMDb, you know, profile page for the you know or you know IMDb page for Cruella. Uh, I guess it's not listed here. It's just their first names, Horace and Jasper. But I thought I read somewhere they were credited as. You know, Jasper Baden and Horace Baden. Yeah, I thought they were supposed to be like these weird brothers or whatever. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They, maybe that's, am I They're not at the my bones? favorite. They're not my favorite little villains. No, that's just like how I had told myself in my head is that these guys were brothers. Just the way that Hannah told okay. herself that Purdy, Purda, Purdy had uh, like a hundred babies. Okay. Yeah, like, you know, you remember it incorrectly, like in your own little child brain. Okay, on the page for the original, it, it's just their first names as well. Horace um, and Jasper's probably got to be around here somewhere. Um, They're my favorite. <laughs> They're yeah. so, like, goofy and fun. I like the dogs. I like all the dogs. Oh, I like yeah, her, like, like, besides the dogs, I mean. Yeah. I honestly don't hate, like, any characters in this movie. Like, I'm not like, oh, them again. Like, sometimes I don't. But I like Cruella. I think she's such a good villain. Um, I love the colors they use with her. Like how, like, I mean, mostly she's like the red, like black and white, but like with her smoke and like her eyes, like you have that like evil green, like Scar has a little bit of that in his eyes, like that green color of evil that kind of oozes out of her when she's like driving and screaming and like strutting around the town. Like I, I like Cruella a lot too. Yeah, she's uh, 
so iconic. I mean, of course, they made an entire movie about her now, you know, and of course had the iconic turn in the 1996 adaptation as well, uh, which reminds me of a correction I was going to make from last episode where I uh, suggested that the 1996 101 Dalmatians was the first adaptation of, you know, one of the animated Disney features. It was actually The Jungle Book in 1994. And, and I know it's yeah. been brought up on a pe- previous podcast. Um, yeah, J- Jason Scott Lee uh, is the actor who plays Mowgli in that 1994 Jungle Book from Disney. And of course, he returned to a Disney live action film in Mulan, uh, where he plays like the lead- leader of the, you know, the enemy horde. I can't, I can't remember his name. But yeah, the um the whole introduction of a f- character like Cruella DeVille you know was was a sort of a novelty for Disney animation cuz like it was a very modern you know in vogue you know mm-hmm. actual it wasn't a, a fantasy character yeah it wasn't like maleficent or you know a creature of the black lagoon type thing it's like a real human villain do you know what i mean like she obviously knows them more realistic and it's actually like i kind of found her funny and i don't know if it was just me morphing the recent live action cruella with this one but uh in the beginning of the movie when she first is excited to come and see the puppies and she realizes they don't have spots and she's just like the most shocked that anyone could be. And Anita's like, oh, like soon, like blah, blah, blah. And she's like, how, how much do you want for them? Like how much do you want? And her like, her cigarette is flying everywhere. She's she's pretty comical. Um, what do you think of like um, Cruella, this film versus I guess the Emma Stone version? Again, I'm very, um, I love the Glenn Close movie way more but what do you think about the character of Cruella do you think she took a lot from this one or no I think from watching it again with fresh eyes I think they took just enough from this 1960s version to have it be the character like it's clearly Cruella from the animated movie but but you know they took a lot of like freedoms and liberties with the the fill in parts. But I I like the little like moments that they took. I mean we talked about it before, but like from her crazy driving to the way she like holds herself to the Literally. way she flings her coat. Yeah, I think they took just enough from the animated character and and did it did it justice. Well, you know, we did talk about on uh, the crew episode that like they intentionally depart from Mm -hmm. a lot of the more unseemly aspects of these characters, you know, for these uh, character studies films that, you know, have really more been an exercise in branding, perhaps than anything else with the Maleficent and Cruella, Um, these you know, character studies that um, could have could be about anyone, like it's an entirely original story about a, you know, original character, perhaps, but transplanted onto these recognizable figures. And, you know, in a way that makes them sort of uh, redemptive uh, and um, relatable versus a character, you know, like Cruella de Vil, which is almost this ultra arch depiction of a villain that is irredeemable um, due to the fact that 
she's willing to kill, you know, the most innocent thing you could almost imagine, you know, apart from maybe a human infant, which is, a, you know, an infant dog. Because um, people tend to, you know, respond even worse to characters who kill animals in film than, than humans, typically, you know, unless it's someone who kills a child. Um, so, <laughs> and, and of course, Maleficent, like she, she tried to kill a child. Uh, and then now she's the protagonist of her right. own pair of <laughs> uh, live action Disney films. So it's, it's kind of sketchy. And there are lots of cynics who are like, oh, it's just the stupid, you know, cynical cash grab of these, you know, recognizable characters and from these famous brands that are, you know, they make a movie about them and they gross a billion dollars. And it's, that's all it is. I think they know that they've <laughs> tapped into like a special part of our soul that we don't want to give up. And it's that like belief in these like fairy tales and and these stories and like they know that that's just something we want to relive over and over again i don't think it is all about the money i think the people who are creating these projects and the people who are going and watching these projects like it's it's more than well than it's like our generation it's not a coincidence that they're making the cruella movie it's not a coincidence that the little mermaid like that is like this generation's and like, we won't be growing up. Like all of us like want to live at home. Like we'll be watching the movies. Well, yeah. And like millennials now and like the group right before us is like the ones spending money, taking their kids to Disney movies, taking their kids to the parks. And like Disney knows for a fact that like that nostalgia needs to like stay alive within us so that we want to go and want to spend the money and want to do the things. So I think it's like a bit of both, but again, now those same generational um, beings are the animators. They are the producers. They are doing all of the things. So it's kind of like guiding ourselves to adulthood with like different things. Like the new Corella movie is definitely much more modern than this, obviously, right? Um, and I think it's kind of like bringing back those memories. So we do go watch the old movies. So we do make our kids go watch those movies. And Disney does have more time with these films that are so timeless to their brand. Because as technology advances, like we've seen it time and time again. Take like a YouTube, take Blippi, for example. Big productions and big companies and big animation studios and big just studios in general they can barely get a word in edgewise because all of these creators are doing so well and good for them, but they need to hold on to the nostalgia that built their brand. Well, and in reference to the character redemption stories, uh, stay tuned. Uh, Disney's Trump 2030. Uh, and uh, no, um, I don't know if I what? made that joke last last episode. Oh, in my notes no, for last episode. So we, I won't be going. <laughs> I'll on that podcast. <laughs> uh, on that note, thanks for listening to the thought. Just kidding. We're not. We're not. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, oh, and I, I was going to also say, like, in terms of like Disney cynicism and and like the corporateness of, of it all. Like, I, you know, I there's a lot that Disney can get away with, in my opinion, because they've been willing to take chances on things like 
the Hunchback of Notre Dame in the past, uh, which celebrates its 25th anniversary. Just a glorious film that, you know, depicted just such adult subject matter, um, but they were able to sort of hoodwink the MPAA into giving it, you know, a, a G rating, which, you know, nowadays, you know, they'd be fine with getting a PG. It was, you know, it was less taboo or it was, you know, it was a bit more taboo back in nowadays. You'd rather have a PG animated film than a G because like the, you know, people's perceptions have changed and, you know, G is like, oh, that's little, really little kids. And PG is like, oh, uh, adults can see this. But um, no, it's, and of course, um, you know, they, they've always had, yeah, exceptional, you know, layers to, to a lot of their animation, you know, films like Zootopia, you know, Frozen, of course, and Tangled, like, uh, yeah, Hannah, you're... You, and that's what this mm-hmm. podcast is like kind of about. Mm-hmm. It gives us like a little baby step into sort of peeling those back. Mm-hmm. When we started the episode tonight, you said that you had kind of a theory on this story. Did you <laughs> fill up? Is this the right know. time to kind of tie well, it in? To, yeah, put on my um, aluminum foil hat. Uh, the There's a sort of a current to this film revolving around television and, and the... Uh, introduction of you know television into the home and are you talking about the celebrity dog that they watch on tv there's that um and of course you know this is a 1961 film so tv was pretty new to a lot of families you know who'd be watching this um but it was so mesmerizing to people um and i think it it had also the potential to really create these um sort of delineations within society you know between yeah like the hero and the villain when we're constantly getting a steady mm-hmm. stream of popcorn sort of pulp entertainment uh you know into our eyeballs in the comfort of our living room um and like this binary notion of like good and evil that is embodied in cruella just to this exceptional degree that i i think is fascinating and and of course her hair you know rep- and her color scheme, you know, represented by black and white, you know, and then the, you know, TVs at the time only being in black and white really, black really white. have some, I don't know, surprising symmetry that I thought. Yeah. Uh, and of course you had that reality show that the villains, you know, Jasper and Horace are watching um, <laughs> name my, you know, what's my crime. And this is like the earliest, you know, sort of, you know, Jerry Springer, you like <laughs> adult sort of trashy. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine like modern movies like Elsa and Anna watching Jerry Springer? <laughs> no. Going on Jerry Springer. I love it. I do Someone do that as a fanfic and DM me. <laughs> I think you're onto something though, Philip, because this might be like the first like animated movie where you watch characters watching tv do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. there's got to be something to that did Mm -hmm. you invent this or did you hear someone talking on this theory i i I did no research no i I, i've done some research for this episode just not related to that theory it comes in completely (laughs) unprepared we're both like uh google is your friend no pun intended it's a rough rough episode (laughs) they're all rough episodes no (laughs) but i but i like that i i think that's really interesting and and I mean, really true. Like you watch the little puppies like zoning out into their TV time and like they want to finish their episode. And well, I mean, 
that plays back into the storyline when the dogs do their big like barking chain and like they call the Dan is his name Daniel or something the hero dog. Okay. To help. Oh, um, yeah, it's a good. What's his name? There's... The Dalmatians. They contact Danny the Great Danny. Dane using that like yeah. bark gossip chain type yeah. thing. All the dogs in England are like barking, 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 and the bloodhound sort of passes it on to like the sheepdog, mm-hmm. and then they end up investigating yeah. right where they come and find it's the puppies. Their own version of like a radio signal. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah, it's 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 like they're embarking on a wartime campaign, embarking. and these embarking, well, embarking, embarking. <laughs> pun un, un, unintended, and uh, a lot of these characters have, uh, for some reason, military ranks assigned to them as well. I know. Well, these are some smart dogs. I mean. I wouldn't have thought of like rolling a Dalmatian around in the soot to make them into a Labrador. Like, th- of course they have military training. They're very smart. Inverse Dalmatians, which, which we get seen, we, you know, you see the, the water drop on them and, you know, introduce the, uh, the black dog with white spots you know, <laughs> later on. Yeah. Like they, they inverse them into their little camouflage. Um, but then they, how does that end up happening then? So they, they all get on into the soot and then they sneak out the window. And this is funny to me because this is a gif I send all the time and you guys can relate like living in the Midwest, but they have to like do this big cross country journey, like over the like icy river and through the snow. And like the dogs are like shaking and shivering. It's like, my nose is oh, yeah. cold. My, my ears is cold. cold. My tails is cold. I was like, that's a Minnesota dog right there. Cause like, we're always freezing. Yeah, my nose is cold. Mm-hmm. England, yeah, can, can be pretty rough. Um, I, okay, so Cruella DeVille was designed as a manic takeoff on the flamboyant ac- actress Tallulah Bankhead. So that's in IMDb Who's that? trivia. Tallulah Bankhead. Um, she was born in 1902 in Huntsville, Alabama. And she, was she like a celebrity of the time? And, uh, yeah, just early you know, 1940s. Um, you know, I, I guess her one of her earliest credits is 1919. And then she was in films you know, all the way until the 1960s. Uh, she's in the Batman TV series as Black Widow. Um, she's in a movie called Die, Die, My Darling <laughs> as Mrs. Trefois. Uh, doesn't sound like a doesn't sound like a Disney feature. So I guess she was kind of a crazy. Yeah, she's lead Mrs. Trefoil. Trefoil. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, a villainous sort of character that that was then because, um, yeah, the, uh, all this stuff gets cannibalized in film. If you look back at, at the movies of, you know, this era you know, 1960s, um, you'll see probably a lot of similarities with other things that were popular at the time. Um, you know, even going back to like something as early as Lassie, you know, you have a, the, um, what do they call the brown collie uh, character here? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. He's like, he, he reminds me of Lassie and it actually, there this, movie sort of I always think of the musical Legally Blonde the musical because there's like a scene where they go she's trapped in the old valley mill 
oops, I mean, she's trapped in the Old Valley Mall. And it always makes me think of this one because aren't the puppies in a little puppy mill when they're captured? Oh my God, captured? they are. Well, it's essentially that due to the fact that- Or is it like an abandoned <laughs> house? Like, I don't know. Um, the Hell Hall, I guess, right? The old mansion. Uh, oh, it's the mansion. Yeah, yep. but we, we find out that the- Is it really called Hell Hall? Yeah, in this movie and in the book Disney as well. Disney just have no rules. <laughs> Yeah, the smoking and the drinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, some things you maybe wouldn't find in a modern G film. Uh, I mean, you definitely can't have smoking in a movie that's rated G nowadays. Um, but Because it's bad for you. <laughs> most, an- knows. <laughs> most animated movies are fine with getting a PG anyways, because, you know, kids will take their... Parents will take their kids to a PG movie. Um, but like... Well, hopefully the parents don't like drop them off at G either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hang out with your kid. Like, it's 2021. Like be around your kid. Mm-hmm. Well, and Disney of course is, uh, you know, has a policy against smoking at all. So like this was definitely well before then, but yeah, it's, I think, you know, it, it was on, I never, my parents never just really dropped us kids off at the movie theater until maybe we were a little older, I guess. Um, I think like today's parents aren't that smart because like people will come to the events that we host uh, in these giant convention centers and they're like, when do I pick my kid up? And we're like, no, you won't drop your kid off. Or Or the kid comes up and they say to Tinkerbell, who I don't know, they say, or to someone maybe, we don't know if that's copyright. <laughs> they say, I can't find my mom. And you say in the microphone, where's your mom? Mommy. This is baby Cody. Oh. Like, where are you? And then like the kids like, there she is. And they're like literally like oogled in their phone in the hallway. It's like, hello. I know. <laughs> I think like Purdy and Pongo are better parents than like some parents these days. Yeah, aspire to be them. Yes, they're good parents. And the fact that they, after this like whole mess of a, you know, journey, they decide to keep all the puppies and like Roger's big dream comes true. Like his song gets famous so they can buy the Dalmatian plantation, which nowadays you wouldn't call it that, but I believe that's what they call it in this. Oh my God, I didn't realize that either. I think that is what they call it in the movie. Well, it rhymes. I know, They, they went with the rhyming. A plantation is another word for a farm. I mean, mm, not anymore, Philip. Not to, not as the resident podcaster who's living in Augusta. Yeah, no, it's true. I, and <laughs> but 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 it's cute that they do get to keep all the puppies because it never would have worked in the yeah. city. So like, I didn't know how they were gonna. I mean, can you imagine if you were um, Anita and Roger's kid, and they're like, by the way, we're getting ninety nine puppies. Yeah. That would be so amazing. I would literally and be know- having the time of my life. I'd be like, perfect. It's time <laughs> for my birthday party. And you know what's funny, though? Well, it's kind of funny, kind of sad. I know I said this on our last uh, episode. Well, the Cruel episode. But after this movie came out, there was like a burst of people looking for Dalmatian puppies. Like the market for these puppies got really mm-hmm. like saturated like a lot of people wanted them but realistically these dogs are not very good 
family dogs, mm. even though they're super cute in the movie. Uh, in real life, they're a little bit vicious. They're a little bit more like hunting dogs. And so then like five years later, after these dogs got bigger, like the pounds were full of Dalmatians because people didn't realize that they're not very good pets. I, I mean, they're not family pets. And like, here's Isn't that another kind of thing. People need to do their research on the exact animal but it was the 60s it was the 60s like they didn't have the internet like yeah, they would have had like to go nowadays to like we've learned our lesson yeah. like quit like murdering all the dogs because like you decided it was a cute christmas gift and then like in june you got bored because you wanted to go to the lake like literally i hate that <laughs> that is like wild I, to me i think nowadays like with social media and everything people are a little more like honed in on that stuff but like in the 60s they literally probably had no clue yeah yeah, certain breeds are certainly better, when, especially around kids. That is true. I mean, I've you know glanced through some of these coffee table books having to do with dog breeds, and they'll say you know how kid friendly is a certain breed. It tends to be like the smaller dogs that they don't really recommend for kids, and I think that's because kids can be pretty <laughs> aggressive and and you know right. They want yeah. to like play with it like a toy, and it's like a living. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember being that, you know, <laughs> little, uh, obnoxious, you know, young boy who had <laughs> tendencies of violence towards, you know, all manner of living things, whether, you know, human, in <laughs> vegetable, mineral, animal, <laughs> vegetable. Oh no. Now when we talk about veggie tales, we're going to have to dig into oh, that. I would fantasize bit. about slicing up <laughs> don't, don't, Bob the tomato don't. and Larry the cucumber, making a nice chopped salad. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Well, as long as it's not the puppies making a coat, no. like as long as it's I, not that. I don't think it. I really ever would draw things like, you know, animals getting mutilated when I was younger. I, I, I don't think I had that phase. Uh, they say that's like a sign. That's a sign of like negative things to come. I listen to podcasts that aren't about animation sometimes. Like I listen to ones that are about like murderers. Yeah. And uh, and actually I graduated with uh, a degree in criminology for awesome. all you listeners out there. I'm very smart. <laughs> no, not really. But um, But yeah, they say that like drawing pictures like that so i'm sure cruella as a child had some very interesting drawings oh, to grow up to be a puppy murderer <laughs> let's see her car in the 1961 film is based on the 1920 alvis speed drophead coupe uh, so that's a, a real car was that like a popular like an expensive type um, car back then because she's supposed to be rich right yeah, i mean i'm assuming I'm guessing that was a luxury car you know 1920 of course it would have been a classic you know collector by, by the um, time. i just have like a tiny bit of input for the last section where we were mm -hmm. talking um where um you just said uh like how she grew up to be a puppy murderer you know mm -hmm. jody like she her little drawings. yeah i think that in a film like this we realize as kids, we're like, no, I don't want the puppies to get chopped up and turned into a coat, right? Mm -hmm. People yeah. need to be aware. And like, you I, I knew tell your this kid was coming. every single thing to freak them out. But you can tell your kid that they chopped up a cow to make their hamburger. You can tell your kid yeah. that fur is murder. You can tell your kid that like they milked a real cow and like its udders are like chafing off. 
body Ugh. because like you decided to eat that. You can tell your kid that their hot dog is a bunch of meat that you have literally no idea where it came from, but somehow it's still appetizing to you. I just think that it's interesting to me how like in America, because in other nations, there are different things, you know, like America's the the Midwest deer is like Australia's kangaroo, like mm-hmm. everywhere has like different things, right? Mm-hmm. Why are we saying don't kill the puppies for the fur, but you're saying like, you know, Hmm. kill all of these like other things go to the circus and like the elephants are so cute oh is it cute or is it tranquilized i'm just wondering like that yeah. stuff really gets me yeah. and i knew jody would know that i was gonna say something i i was wondering because it didn't really come up for cruella so i was like it's gonna come up eventually I, I was and i do i do cruella, agree but like it just really bothers me when like educate your children because they need to know that like what they're eating and like what's happening because like they don't get it yeah yeah no it's crucial for the future you know for us to sort of change our practices of factory farming and and yeah like i mean there are these are just built in you know centuries old almost you know yeah, of course. Is, and uh, I do understand that like yeah. some things like animal products have been used for for centuries yeah. and like we need to find better alternatives. But at this point, like slaughterhouses are like crazy. It's not mm-hmm. even like yeah. humane, real farmers, like real, real farmers that like put their like, you know, work into like not just animals, but like crops are just absolutely like taken for granted and like these big factories are just like pumping everything full of like um bad chemicals for you and it's like if that cow eats a bad like a bunch of bad stuff like that is going into your body because that is like what you're eating is the cow's body so like it's just crazy to me and I know people are always saying like oh Hannah's such like a little hippy dippy with the animal stuff but it's like educate your children like it's just it's like you're one thing, like you're allowed, and, and, like, I just, and it's it's, it's good. just like ridiculous to me that like people are like, oh, like I don't want my kid to know that like a hamburger is a cow because they won't eat it. They shouldn't be eating it. Red meat's not good for you, anyways. The milk industry just wanted to make like billions of dollars, so they tricked the politicians by funding mm-hmm. their campaigns into telling you that milk is good for you. Milk is horrible for you unless it's whole milk. It has absolutely nothing in it that's good for you at all. Like, it's crazy. A lot, a lot of people who are you know they they hear kind of these these warning bells of sort of these silly things that we do as humans with our manufacturing and our food and and they'll just stick their head in the sand and and yeah not want to listen and unfortunately you know that's you would think (laughs) movies like this would kind of like turn your child ear up because i mean i remember as a kid like being fearful for these little puppies and being like oh like I want them to make it and they do and like they, it all all is well that ends well but it is weird sometimes that humans like have a disconnect from like one animal like a quote-unquote domestic animal like a puppy um to uh you know a, a farm animal it, it, it's interesting how that that is yeah I just think it's very um selective and this does really open the gates like um without saying anything for a conversation with your kids and I am someone that like my parents didn't tell me but I really felt like betrayed once I figured it out because I started like my quote-unquote journey into being like a vegetarian and everything Mm -hmm. um when I was really young when I was in like fourth grade when I realized that like 
a chicken nugget was a chicken. I know that's so dumb, but like kids just don't even like realize it. Adults don't even think about that stuff. Like also when people act like, sorry, I'm such on a tangent, Philip, we can get back to the, he can always oh, no, edit no. it. Like he knows but when he's the say, boss. Like, Oh yeah. Like you better like, um, like respect it because like, that chicken gave its life for you. It's like, no, it didn't. It ran away and you freaking chopped its head off, you psycho. <laughs> like chickens are not martyrs. They did not want you to do this. They did not want you to over, over, like take their bodies. Yeah. Like cows did not want you to like whip them and put them in a slaughterhouse after like chaping their freaking udders uh. off for months at a time. There are so many things that are so cruel. Like, um, this is like, um, you might want to edit this out. I don't know. I'll <laughs> say it in a less gross way. But there is um, several videos of like American owned companies. So like KFC for a long time has been under yeah, lots of yeah. cruelty um, restrictions and or not restrictions, but like um, very much in the forefront of any news that is animal cruelty related because mm -hmm. um, they literally grind like live baby chicks to make their little popcorn chickens and stuff like that. And that is not everyone can like you can look me up. You can like read me on that. Like that is true. Um, like someone went in like a factory of theirs, like multiple times, like they were um, PETA members. I know like not everyone respects PETA, but um, that kind of like went undercover getting jobs there just to take videos of like the insane conditions that these people do to it. And again, it's just like, why are we so upset with Corella DeVille wanting to chop up a puppy for its fur, but you are not upset with like uncle Bob grilling steaks on the grill and like chopping up fish after his little trip and like eating venison it's like that is disgusting you are eating bambi's mom were you sad in that movie because you're literally doing it okay i'm done <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate the take yeah it's um you know the of course some of the themes about like the um spectacle of things like um th these reality tv shows um and and um you know name my crime you know the fascination with sort of crime uh related media and and murders and things like that like um you know that was really starting to i think infiltrate in in fact the popular culture at the time and and so people, mm -hmm. people like, uh, they'll gravitate towards something if it's, um, you know, what was, there's a, a word I'm, I'm looking for is, you know, sens the, the sensational, sensationalized. Oh, okay. um, and, and this is just a, a trend. Um, and, and this is, you know, something that, you know, some of animal rights advocacy plays on too, but not, you know, not without due cause. But uh, sometimes that's what it takes to get people's attention. And, you know, a movie like 101 Dalmatians, you know, it's, it's this spectacular, um, you know, gorgeous animated uh, film that, that does address, you know, important issues. And, and yeah, that is, is good that it, it, you know, got people thinking about things like animal cruelty, uh, 
know, it, yeah. ha- it had side effects though, too. It's like, uh, like people purchasing Dalmatians when they weren't ready to raise them. Um, but you know, there's, there's just always going to be people are dumb. <laughs> like we can't handle like two messages at once. Like but every, everything kind of animals, but also don't buy them. All. Everything <laughs> has, you know, a, a positive and a negative, a, a heads and a tails, you know, if not more facets to it as well. Like every coin mm-hmm. has two sides. Um, and even thinking of every issue as just a matter of two sides might be a bit reductive as well. Um, but, you know, things like sensational headlines and shows, you know, like Jerry Springer, like uh, even the, you know, adventure serial they were watching, you know, uh, as, as puppies, you know, these these tend to have you know, effects on, on people's psychology if we're not aware of it. And it's just good to become more aware and to, um, you know, engage with these things sort of critically, um, you know. Instead of just like soaking it in and like taking it at, at maybe the yeah. value that is handed to yeah. you. At. And if we do that. <laughs> that ties in. That ties in well with the like the media portion that you spoke on earlier. Exactly, exactly. It's all coming together, people. You know, then, then we might think to justify things like, "Oh, I, I love the look of these, you know, these coats on these dogs," um, and because I love it, you know, I'm justified in you know wanting to take it for for myself because you know I can pay for it, or um, you know I'm just expressing my own appreciation in my own macabre way. Yeah, like I want to go hunt a lion in Africa because I love yeah. Simba. And I love safaris. Like I'm going to pay a hundred thousand dollars to go shoot a lion. Do that. Yeah. yeah, that's the, that's who I'm making well, fun of. I don't know if our listeners do that. Like, please, if you went please to stop. old uh, Animal Kingdom, I um they used to do like the safari. Do they still do that where they have the poachers yeah. chase you? No. Oh, I didn't think so. Oh. Um, but when I was a little kid. You guys don't even know. I was like a child, like about to like tell my parents it was my big turn to like stop eating meat and like mm-hmm. not eating like anything pretty much like I was just like I don't know like I I don't know like I was on such a like journey um <laughs> and they'd be like the poachers are coming at Disney I literally not kidding my dad would always be like sit down because I'd always try to like jump out of the thing at them and be like stop mm-hmm. it like I need to save the rhinos <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, we weren't chased by poachers when I was there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was never chased by poachers. Thing. If podcast yeah. listeners, if you remember that, DM Philip um the lion emoji. Well, awesome. And the <laughs> I I know I speak of like the the chase at the end of the movie like I it was a bit of a strain on my suspension of disbelief when the I I I forgot that like after the dogs get in their disguise, you know, all three of the villains, you know, Jasper, Horace, and Cruella see the dogs sort of parading through in in the soot disguise, thinking that these are, I guess, Labrador oh, yeah. puppies and not Dalmatians. Like, wait, where else would you have a collection of, you know, dozens of dogs? A hundred. <laughs> parading around. It's like, obviously, there's something going on. You should probably get out of your car and check these dogs. It's kind of just like the magic of Disney. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> cartoon. That's the only way to explain it. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, it does have a, you know, they, they eventually get wise to the 
skiing and it was a whole chase. The ski. I don't know, Philip. This sounds like a personal problem. You need to work on suspending your disbelief as you watch. I'm these pretty things. good yeah. at it. I I feel like Philip's always pointing stuff out to me. I'm like, huh? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, Cruella's cheekbones very reminiscent, reminiscent of like Isma. I know we talked about Emperor's New Groove, you know, on on the show fairly recently, and they are very was, uh, parallel. Yeah. Well, even their body types uh, and their mannerisms. And, you know, well, you guys are already saying that, but yeah, they're, they're, they're similar. And the Dr. Facilier yeah, was also inspired by Cruella and in his animation. So um, these things, yeah, carry through. Um, it, it's, it's its own kind of little club at <laughs> Disney of just uh, iterating on, on um, a lot of what has come before in the grand tradition of uh, film animation. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, maybe we'll see something in the future that is similarly, you know, innovative and uh, stylistic as, um, 101 Dalmatians because yeah, this, this movie has a very unique style being the first to use that sort of more rough photocopy aesthetic, uh, which would then be implemented in, in numerous, uh, subsequent Disney animated films, despite Walt Disney being, sort of uh, repulsed by it at first. Uh, but, so, you know, you <laughs> see that in the industry, something. It's yeah. a change. It's something new. Uh, even George Lucas, like, has a famous quote. He said, special effects are just a tool, a means of telling a story. People have a tendency to confuse them as an end to themselves. A special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. And then, <laughs> you know, people would accuse George Lucas of, letting visual effects supplant you know the storytelling quality in some of his later films you know as he would come to rely more and more on green screen effects where actors aren't acting off of really anything you know in frame it's just them having to sort of imagine their surroundings and it just didn't seem to make for as compelling a product as you know had been you know done previously with more practical style uh, visual effects. So, you know, everyone, you know, in the film industry goes through sort of radical transformations as they change, you know, philosophy and, and technique. And um, we're, we're always changing in our knowledge and understanding and um, approach to how we go about our lives. Um, so, we just have to take it easy on ourselves sometimes <laughs> and uh, sit down and enjoy a good, uh, you know, animated film from, from 1961 that still holds up to this day uh, in, very impressively, in my opinion. So um, that's kind of all I have to really say on the Thogcast about uh, 101 Dalmatians and about, about you all. I think I said what I needed to say, and I, I really enjoy these chats and how um, a 90 minute animated feature can sort of tie into so many different facets and conversations. Mm -hmm. And this was a fun one. And I, I, I know we already talked about it a thousand times, but I think it's really cool that Disney didn't really like it personally. And then he grew to like it. And it just reminds me of like, sometimes when there's something new, like maybe your first impulse shouldn't be to like, 
turn away from it. And I know that's not a movie lesson, but like a behind the scenes lesson that I have to remind myself as we get back to work and start doing work in a brand new way after the pandemic, like not to knock it before you really try it. Um, yeah, I think I really enjoyed kind of like walking down this um, path again with this movie. And it was definitely a little different than I remembered, but it really um, reinvigorated kind of like a fire in me to save the animals as as I find something to do that like once a week. But this this movie is a great way to talk to your kids about um, being a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Somebody counted all the black spots in this movie frame by frame, I guess, and uh, <laughs> got the total up to 6,469,952. So I counted 151. So. <laughs> uh, a lot of time on there. 72 spots on Pongo, 68 on Perdita, and 32 on each pup. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know, 144,000 frames in a typical 60 minute worth of footage. Uh, I, you'd have to check me on that. Um, so well, then technically, they maybe should have just mm -hmm. like done some math and saved themselves some time. Well, that's the number of frames in, in 60 minutes, 144,000. Yeah, but it would have been the same spot. You just saw it multiple times. <laughs> well, they, I think, gosh, are, are they counting on each individual frame? I think what they are counting is the number of times somebody had to, well, because somebody didn't have to draw an individual black spot every time because they used um, photocopying. How um, many did you say were on Pongo and Purdy? Uh, 72 on Pongo, 68 on Perdita. But I think this this is per frame as well. So this person... Yeah, because who there's only 3,372 with all of the puppies and Pongo and Purdy together. So they just were like trying to overdo themselves. Yeah, they they counted all the spots per frame. Uh, so take the 144,000 times one and a half, which gets you to the 90 minutes worth of frames, and then all the spots on on all of those frames uh, gets you to whatever the six six and a half million figure. Um, and the the 15 uh, puppies are Lucky Thunder. Rolly, Patch, Pepper, Penny, Cadpig, Freckles, Purdy, I guess another Purdy, uh, Whizzer, Jewel, Dipstick, Two-Tone, Fidget, and Spotty. There you go. The original, the OG 15 puppies. Um, and then I guess the rest, uh, adding up to the 19, or ni 99 puppies that you find it, that they find at Hell Hall, um, were were purchased i guess because uh you know there's a one of the non uh radcliffe uh couple puppies um you know states that you know we were bought by um you know from from puppy mills or whatever <laughs> around uh london so uh 
I guess the only puppies that were so, 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 so sad. Well, but it's just interesting that the only ones that were acquired illegally were um, Roger and um, Anita's. Which I think having their puppies was almost like a vengeful kind of act mm-hmm. by Cruella. Like she wanted theirs for more of like a sentimental like mind game. Yeah, She wanted like the other ones because she needed more fabric. Yeah, messed up. All right. Well, cool. Um, do you guys want to plug yourselves uh, on social media? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone, everyone, please, please. I never want you to follow me, but I've been trying to be more active on Instagram because it gets time to get back to real life again. Um, and it's Jody Pulaski, J-O-D-I-P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. And like, I love to drop links to the podcast, but I also like to get your thoughts about different topics in my stories. So yeah, come along. <laughs> and um, I'm Hannah and on Instagram and TikTok, which I never go on, but you can follow me there if you want. Maybe one day I'll whoop something out. But um, Hannah Lee Ever After, L-E-I-G-H, um, Ever After, like fairy tales on all my social media, except for Twitter, where I'm just Hannah Smart. And that's just where I like run my mouth. Awesome. You can find me, uh, Philip Elke, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Thodcast. And uh, I, I had a lot of fun on this episode. We did get into some more greater substance than we might have you know, gotten into on previous episodes. But I enjoyed it. Hopefully, everyone was okay with it if you're not okay you can always talk to us uh reach out <laughs> we're always here to uh lend a listening ear uh and you can find us at thoughtcast on twitter and instagram as well um and on various podcasting platforms you know, such as apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher soundcloud um and uh other than that i guess uh stay tuned for more thoughtcast conversations about animation and uh, for Jody and Hannah, thank you so much. And um, everyone out there, please have a magical day, a wonderful week, warm hugs. Oh, I wanted to say warm hugs. Go ahead. Warm hug. Oh, okay. Have a what? magical week and Hannah at the same time. One, two, three. Warm hugs. What did Hannah Good say? job, guys. She said warm hugs. Okay, okay. Puppy, puppy kisses and warm hug wishes so from the podcast. Okay. Yeah, very guys, good. Guys, I got a flight. Oh, is it done? Yeah, we're done.